I can't believe we're already to episode 26. Welcome in to the Hops and Spirits podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green. We've already done 25 of these things this year. It's amazing. I hope you've enjoyed every one of them. I know I have. And this week's episode's a really good one. We hit both the hops and spirits side of things as we talk with Chris Fredrickson of Traverse City uh, Whiskey Company out of Michigan. And then we also go on the uh, hoppy side of things with Gallant Fox Brewing out of Louisville, Kentucky. They're also a bourbon bar, too, so I guess we hit uh, just about (laughs) everything with this episode. Also, don't forget to check us out on our social media pages, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Hop Spirits, all one word. And if you're not following us on Instagram, you might be missing out on our Things We Love holiday giveaway. It's going on right now. You don't want to miss it. It's your chance to win a uh, Chattanooga Whiskey Cask 111 uh, bottle of whiskey and whiskey glasses. That's one of my favorite uh, whiskeys that that I'm drinking these days. Uh, Also, a Gish Pack uh, carrier for the beer lovers. It's a reusable carrier. And then for the foodies out there, uh, who doesn't love some pizza? Pies and Pints $50 gift card, the Things We Love holiday giveaway. And really, all you need to do is follow us, follow a couple other people, and tag some friends. It's really simple. Uh, So check us out on Instagram for our Things We Love holiday giveaway. And now let's get into the episode. And joining us here is Chris Fredrickson, co-founder and distiller of Traverse City Whiskey Company in Traverse City, Michigan. Chris, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now... I, I always enjoy these because, you know, it's not like Traverse City Whiskey's been around for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. How did it get started? And was it really just with you and a couple friends that were getting burnt out? Something like that. There were a few things that fell into place um, over the matter of about a year or two. Um, you know, one, yes, a couple of buddies and I that had met at Michigan State uh, were getting burned out from our corporate jobs. But at the same time, uh, my, my father and I had found a set of my great-grandfather's distilling patents that he had patented during the U.S. Prohibition. And kind of the combination of, you know, the love for whiskey, the passion for whiskey, and discovering some pretty intimate family history um, alongside two good friends that were um, eager to get out of the corporate grind, just the the... Um, kind of the, the equation of, of all that led to an idea that was um, was and is called Traverse City Whiskey. And had you ever really done anything in the distilling world before that? No, I, I did take part in a, a distilling a distilling seminar, uh, several distilling seminars actually prior to starting the company. One was at Michigan State under the guidance of Dr. Chris Berglund who, I mean, this was really um, uh, intriguing at the time because, of, you know, I loved whiskey, but I didn't totally understand the roots of it, uh, you know, in a very thorough way at the time. And and after going through this class, it, it really sparked a lot of enthusiasm for the industry and, you know, what what world of whiskey was out there. And, and is that, you know, at, at what point did you guys start, you know, you and your father kind of find that 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 history because i mean you had it's a kind of a really cool family history of being in the distilling world yeah we so we found these patents out at our family's cherry farm up here in northern michigan um back in 2011 and it it we probably didn't make it more than six or seven months before we kind of took this this springboard of an idea you know an idea of the patents 
and you know over a few whiskeys with my business partners Jared and Moti, um, we talked about what that you know could mean for just for fun, you know, just as a kind of a side hustle, a side project, and um, you know within a year and a half of finding the patents, um, we had architected this kind of this vision for the company. And you, know, what's it like to? What was your first thought when you you found those those patents? I mean, that had to be like, I don't want to say like Christmas morning, but that had to be kind of a cool uh, feeling. Yeah, honestly, I was kind of let down by by my <laughs> by, by my family because they they knew everybody knew that um, I personally had a a huge interest in this industry. And it's something that I brought up at many family gatherings and was always excited to talk about. And when I found the patents, I, you know, I talked to my father, I talked to my grandmother. It was, it was her, um, her grandfather. And it, uh, the, the unusual thing is everybody said, well, yeah, of course, of of course your great grandfather was, um, you know, was a, was a chemical engineer for Dow back in the day and had, patented three patents um, during prohibition. Of course he did. And I was like, you guys have got to be kidding me. Like this is, this is such a prime family history that is directly aligns with everything that you know that I love. And you're just waiting until I find the patents to talk about it. <laughs> it was, um, you know, it was good for a laugh at the time. Um, but, but certainly, uh, you know, I was kind of almost like starstruck with the fact that this is, something that was so near and dear to our family. And what, what's it like to kind of continue on this, this tradition? Cause uh, like I said, not everyone gets to, to do something like that. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I would say it's less about continuing on a tradition and more about evolving a tradition. Um, you know, my, my great grandfather, he was a closet distiller, but he, you know, his vision was always kind of in the corporate world, you know, working for Dow chemical. he, um, you know, he, he was kind of a, I want to say like a nine to fiver. He, and he loved it and he was very passionate about it, but, but taking that and trying to, to evolve it and, and grow, you know, what, you know, what history resisted has been thrilling and constantly motivating, um, for the sheer fact that our timing in life, um, his timing and my timing were very unique, um, to American history in that. These happen to be two eras um, in, you know, uh, American economic or, you know, cultural societal development where whiskey has just had this really cool um, growth, growth spurt, right? It, whiskey didn't get quote unquote cool again until, you know, early, you know, 2007, 2008, up to 2012 when it, when it really got hot. But, you know, that, that culture hasn't existed in the better part of the century. And it's, I don't know, I just find it, I find it really neat that his generation and, you know, now our generation is really finding and appreciating um, that, uh, that trade. And, you know, you hear all the, these places that say they found the, the family recipe, you know, hidden in a book. And some of the stories are true. Some aren't, but I mean, this is a true story. And I, I, I love that that you guys have this history that you can share. Yeah. Yeah. It is exciting. It's, um, it's a, it's a really fun foundation for, 
to the company that we built. And then, you know, when, when you guys decided to start, what was the, the plan then? Because, I mean, I'm guessing it's not, it wasn't what it's become today. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's grown significantly uh, beyond what we had ever imagined. Um, you know, the original goal of the company, of, of just the brand Traverse City Whiskey Co., was kind of a distraction from, from our nine to five and something that we could really, you know, wake up and be eager to work on um, in our downtime. And after we sold, um, you know, our, we had our first probably six months of sales between July and December 2012, we realized that we were onto something. And, and it's just been, it's been so much fun with having such steady growth over the past eight years, watching, kind of watching the, the machine build and grow and watching and hearing so many cool stories from, you know, a lot of our, our guests and customers and um, just that we're, you know, we are on the right trail and, you know, people are really loving and enjoying what we create. That's been thrilling to say the least. Well, I'll, I'll say I've gotten gotten to, to try a few few of your whiskeys, uh, and and they've been very enjoyable. What when when you guys were first coming up with everything, you guys ended up starting out with a contract distiller because obviously, as anyone knows, the one thing with whiskey is it takes time. How has that kind of evolved over time for you all? Yeah, so we it's it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. So. We did start off with contract production. Actually, technically, we started off with source sourcing age inventory. The first opportunity that we had in the um, brand building or company building phase, like phase one, was we had an opportunity to purchase 20 four-year-old MGP bourbon barrels, just 20. And at the time for us, this was this was an extreme investment. This was like all of the uh all the chips <laughs> in one basket and <clears throat> let's let's just see what we can do and by the end of the first year we had moved through you know so many of those barrels that we realized you know we should we should probably either double down or just be on our way and we are um i don't know we're a pretty aggressive bunch jared moti and myself and we wanted to kind of just call double or nothing. So we invested in another 20 bourbon barrels. And again, at the time, huge investment, really big investment. And we, we kept producing. Um, this was, this is how we incubated the company, you know, sourcing aged whiskey. And then as soon as, as soon as we had things up and moving, we opened up our own shop in. um, we started construction in 2013. We were live by uh, late 2014. And at that time, we began producing alongside MGP. Uh, we were making a substantial amount of rye whiskey. Um, we're capable right now of producing three barrels a day. And, you know, MGP um, would, of course, continue to, to build an arsenal of inventory with us, which we had kind of committed to retiring our reliance on them in, in 2018. And uh, it was at that time that our um, <clears throat> kind of our best selling product, the cherry whiskey, took off. And <laughs> it, 
it got um, it, it got it nearly impossible for us to rely on just ourselves after that. Um, you know, our traditional mash bill, uh, the 75% corn, 21% rye, and 4% malted barley um, was the recipe that kicked off um, kind of our sales platform with our straight bourbon. And then that same product was the, or is the baseline for our American cherry edition, our cherry whiskey. And so we've, I guess just long story short, we, we started with sourced inventory. We moved to a hybrid model producing alongside MGP, tried cutting over in 2018 and just haven't been able to do that thus far. But now you, you, you know, we were kind of chatting a little bit before, before the episode, you guys do have a new facility, which I'm guessing, or you're in the process of, which should help some things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we currently, uh, well, this year we've had a few setbacks for obvious reasons. Um, we are in the process of constructing our 24 inch Vendome column, which will take our production capacity from three barrels a day to, um, up to 67 on three shifts. So it's a, it's a dramatic jump in, uh, production capability. And, uh, we're hoping to have that still online, uh, midway through next year. It was supposed to be online in September. So two months ago, but, um, we had to halt construction because of the pandemic. Um, yeah, so we're, we're eager to, we're eager to steer in our, our own independent direction. It's, it's a very exciting new venture and, um, you know, we're really kind of fighting tooth and nail to, to realize that. And then you all call yourselves the Whiskey of the North, which, I mean, you're up in Michigan. Um, if anyone doesn't know where Traverse City is, it's a beautiful place. You need to check it out. Um, how does being up there in Michigan affect the bourbon? Because I, I was reading something about it, how there's, you know, all the studies are down in kind of Kentucky and Tennessee, and things happen a little differently up there because of the climate. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Whiskey of the North. Um, so that is our, our trademark moniker, the, the whiskey of the North. And, um, what does that mean to us? Well, so Traverse city is located up in Northern Michigan. We're right on Lake Michigan. Um, we have a very high relative humidity, um, you know, high moisture content and typically lower temperatures. And, you know, a lot of times you'll find just as an example, the, so a lot of these bourbon hounds that are chasing proof down at a lot of distilleries in Kentucky and, you know, down in Kentucky because of the, the difference in humidity and because of the higher temperatures, you, you know, to back up one more step, there are, there are two things in a barrel. You have ethanol and water, and those are the only two components that age over the course of a barrel's lifetime, ethanol and water. And, down in Kentucky, because of the heat and Kentucky's relative humidity, the, the water is the first compound in the barrel to evaporate. So when you pop open a barrel, you know, you can, you could expect proofs of 120, 125, 130, you know, up to what you've seen whiskeys as hot as 140. And that's a very normal thing. They're, they're they pack a serious punch with flavor and it's, it is fantastic whiskey. However, up in Traverse City, because of our climate, we are we are governed a bit differently. 
and ethanol is the first uh, compound in the barrel to evaporate. Now, there's a, a school of thought and a, a, a scientific study that's happened over the past decade that has encouraged that um, water actually plays better with wood than alcohol. So you're actually going to derive more flavor from the wood or from the barrel, um, having a higher, higher water content. You know, a lot of times whiskey barrels are barreled up to, you know, right around 120 proof. And we barrel just a bit lower, but because of the ethanol evaporation, that means that more water is now playing with the wood, leading to more dynamic flavor faster, which is something that we really pride ourselves on. And, and to get into your, your whiskeys, uh, you kind of have four uh, main ones, uh, so to speak. You, you touched on one of them that's kind of probably, I don't know, maybe your your, your best one, the uh, American Cherry Edition, you know, the the uh, cherry whiskey, um, which I think is fitting because you are, are the cherry capital of the world. Um, I, is that just kind of how it all happened? It just made sense where you are, are with your farm and everything else? Yeah. Yep. Um, exactly. That's, uh, that's, that's very well put. You know, and, and I must say, I really enjoyed it because sometimes you, you worry about, you know, the, the fruit whiskeys maybe being too much sugar, sugary. Um, but I thought it was really refreshing, uh, very sippable. And, you know, unlike some of the other ones that I've been lucky enough to try over, over the course of this podcast, it's a much lower proof. It's, I would say it's an approachable whiskey for almost anyone. Yeah, no, we would, we would absolutely agree with that statement. And that's exactly why it was crafted the way, the way that it was, um, you know, low enough to reach um, a newer demographic of, um, you know, more novice whiskey drinkers, but also um, whiskey forward enough to present well to, you know, somebody who's a little more experienced. And and then your, your straight bourbon whiskey, how would you describe that to, to someone, um, you know, that that's, you know, whether they're an aficionado or not? Yeah. Yeah, the one word that I always lean toward is versatility um, or versatile. You know, it, it, it's an exceptionally versatile whiskey in that it it marries well in, in most most whiskey cocktails. Um, it it's easy to sip neat on the rocks in, in pretty much any capacity. And it's a, it's a great value for what it is. You know, most craft distilleries will uh, be selling bottles, you know, upward of $40, $50 a bottle. And our straight bourbon, um, which is one of our poster children, is priced right around $30, depending on what state you're shopping in. And then obviously you have the barrel proof one, uh, which I really enjoyed that. I thought it was my, it was my most favorite. I enjoyed the cherry whiskey as well, but the barrel proof, uh, I enjoyed its tagline of, um, you know, it's kind of, you save your most uh, flavorful barrels for that. Um, it's won several awards. I, I thought it was a, a tremendous whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It is, it is certainly our most full bodied expression. And, you know, the, the only difference between the, the barrel proof and the straight bourbon that we just talked about is really just the age and the proof. So the, the straight bourbon is, um, right between three and four years aged, um, closer to four actually. And the barrel proof bourbon is right around six years old. And 
at full cask strength. And then the, the newest delish, uh, addition to your lineup is uh, the North Coast Rye. It's a, a, a blend of two mash bills, 100% rye, and then 95% rye and 5% malted, malted barley. Um, why, why did you guys decide to go with, with that uh, blend and, and go with the rye whiskey? Yeah, you know, we, we kind of hedged a pretty big bet on rye whiskey and are still, um, you know, pretty, pretty optimistic that it's going to hit the market in a pretty big way. Um, you know, rye whiskey is, is a timeless, is a timeless recipe and it's, well, one, why the blend? The blend is, um, just that really nice balance between butter and spice. So these are two very traditional rye tasting notes that you get. And, and we found that our hundred percent rye, um, really just kind of had this, this overly lovely butter finish and our 95 five rye had this this zesty spice at the end and you know each rye drinker kind of loves usually loves one or the other and when we put the two together the combination was just it it just made a lot of sense um really really long finish um really clean expressive notes and we just we realized that we were onto something so it's something that we owned early on and we've we've really kind of made a staple of our, our core collection and, and I, I must say I, I was able to try that and the other other threes that we just kind of talked about and I, I really didn't enjoy it it's got a different kind of flavor for someone that you know may not be used to to rye you know what a rye whiskey is but I thought it was still um like like everything it's they're all very approachable and, and worth a try yep yep definitely agree and it really you know the idea behind having enough expressions in a portfolio is to to really help cater to you know several audiences and if you if you don't like something as sweet which typically bourbon you know has a lot of sweeter notes because of the higher corn content you may really really enjoy something spicier or more buttery like a rye and and one thing that i i loved or, or love that you guys do is uh, the little three pack of the 200 milliliter bottles. How did that come about? Because I mean, that's like the perfect thing to take to, to someone's house. If you're going over for, for an evening get together. I mean, that's, that's like the greatest little set I've, I've seen. Yeah, no, that, uh, that came up because of exactly what we just talked about, which is having that, that variety in a portfolio. And we wanted to be able to showcase you know, what, what we're capable of making across the board at, to, to your point, kind of a, you know, a gathering of some sort where it's, you're not tied to one expression or one flavor profile. You can introduce a few. Uh, I love that. And it, and it works perfectly. Cause like I said, I was able to get, you know, three, three, 200 milliliter bottles, try a, a whole set of them in an evening and, uh, you know, get those unique flavors from, from all of them. And Chris, kind of before I let you go, I always like to ask this. I know we touched on it where you got the new facility. You'll be able to do a little bit more. Uh, but but what's next for you and uh, Traverse City Whiskey? Yeah, so we are, right now we're heads down. Um, October, November, December is, is really the busiest time of year for any distiller. So our, our schedules right now are fully dedicated through the end of the year. Um, next year, come February, March, we're going to be um, revisiting construction on our new facility. Our goal is to have the facility open for tours 
by the end of Q3 2021, uh, right up here in Traverse City. Um, this will be the, well, when we open, we will be the largest family-owned distillery north of Kentucky. And for those of you that don't know, Traverse City is a huge wine country. Um, that's what that part of like agritourism is what um, incubated a lot of growth in in northern Michigan. And the experience that we will offer um, will be very education forward and will be focused on our guest and teaching whiskey in it in the most easy to understand approachable way. Um, I, I personally have been on probably a hundred distillery tours around the world. And for the first, I don't know, <laughs> 25 to 50 of them, I would just get so lost in the weeds about, about what, you know, adding context to what a tour guide was sharing with me. And I, I've been on one tour thus far that was just, that was wildly approachable and, and fun because it, it didn't rely on me being a, you know, a scientist to understand the specifics of, you know, fermentation or distillation or, you know, each, each piece of the process. So um, all I would say is next time you or, or any of your uh, listeners are up in Traverse City, please drop by. Uh, we have a tasting room downtown uh, with cocktails. We sell bottles, t-shirts and hats and all that. Great, fun experience. And um, come Q3 q3 of 2021 we'll have this new facility open and it will be big and really damn cool well and and, and for those that you know go well what else am i going to do in traverse city it's a beautiful town it's uh, there, there's plenty to do up there so you, you definitely need to make the trip and also you guys don't just have whiskeys you even have uh cherries too right <laughs> we have we have we make world famous cocktail cherries and traverse city is the cherry capital of the world and uh, my family's been growing cherries for three generations. And, you know, one day at our cocktail bar, we realized that we were buying imported cherries in the cherry capital of the world. And we were ashamed. So we made our own and they're awesome. And you should definitely try them. <laughs> and I was going to say, and there's a, a plenty of, of recipes too that you can use with the whiskeys or those cherries. Uh, you know, you guys are doing some great things up there in Traverse City, uh, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And really, thanks for spending some time. It was great chatting and um, and and definitely appreciate the opportunity to showcase kind of what we've, you know, invested our lives into. Really enjoyed our chat with uh, Chris Fredrickson of Traverse City Whiskey Company. They got a cool history, especially his family side of things. I cannot believe that they didn't uh, tell him about that that distilling history. That that is kind of baffling to me, uh, but it comes. It makes a great story, and I was glad he could share that with us. And now let's move on to the hoppier side of things, and we welcome in Roger Huff, co-owner and co-brewer of Gallant Fox Brewing in Louisville, Kentucky. Roger, thanks for hopping on here to talk uh, hops and spirits. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Now, how did you all come up with your name for the, for uh, Gallant Fox? Well, that's a good question. Um, so my uh, my partner and I, there's just two of us here, myself and Patrick Workman. Um, we've been uh, homebrewing together for quite a long time. And uh, when we finally decided to get a little bit more serious about it, we knew we needed a, uh, a brand identity around what we were doing. Um, so, uh, we brainstormed over a handful of brew days over a couple of months. And what we decided was that since we were both, you know, Kentucky natives and 
Um, you know, we really had a strong love for the, not just the city, but the state that we brew in and that we live in, that we wanted to make sure that our name tied us uh, to the state in some way and that our overall brand tied us to the state in some way. So, um, you know, uh, our, our slogan here is um, Derby City Small Batch Beer. Um, and we love the Derby. We love everything that has to do with the history of it. So Gallant Fox was actually a uh, 1930 uh, Kentucky Derby and eventually a uh, Triple Crown winner. Nice, nice. I, I love the history there. Um, and now you kind of touched on it. You, you and Patrick are, are co-owners, co-brewers, um, and you started out in home brewing. Is that how you met Patrick? Because I think you guys have been friends for quite a while now, right? Yeah, actually, um, Patrick began doing uh, a little bit of brewing when he was in the Army back in the late 90s. Uh, so that's how he originally got into home brewing, or, or really not at home, but, but brewing on you know a home-style scale. And uh, Patrick and I met actually in 2008 uh, when we both were working at the same company. Uh, Patrick was actually in IT, and uh, I was in marketing. Uh, and digital media, and uh, we became friends. You know, we worked on a lot of projects that we were releasing together, and uh, we both had done some home brewing, and uh, we had hung out on the weekends, whether it was drinking beer, drinking bourbon, and um, we decided uh, one winter to that we should do a batch together, and then uh, I guess that, as they say, everything else is history. We uh, began brewing much more regularly together. And uh, we made a decision to start pulling money together to buy better and better equipment. You know, that's the home brewers thing, right? It's a very expensive hobby that becomes more expensive the, the better you do it. And, um, you know, we, uh, we upgraded our system and continued to do that until my wife finally kicked us out of our garage. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she wanted it, it to be a garage again, right? <laughs> you know, when, the, when the system reached the one barrel scale, uh, it was it was uh, a pretty massive uh, space that we had, and no longer room for her to park in the garage. And that's really what led Patrick and I into not making necessarily a jump to um, pro brewing at that time, but really making a jump to get a space uh, and renting a small space that we could just do brewing in um, that you know we weren't taking up space in a garage, and that also had you know, a little bit more of a commercial feel to make it some of the aspects of brewing a little bit easier. And w when you guys decided to come up with not just, you know, kind of the love of, of home brewing, but to turn this into a an, uh, kind of a business adventure, I, I will call it an adventure with especially how 2020 has gone. Um, what, what inspired you guys to make that leap? Yeah. So, um, in February of 18 was really, really that, that winter is when my wife was really pressing us to move the stuff out of, out of the garage. And I think she was tired of scraping her car windows, which I mean, I can completely agree. So, um, we decided to look for that commercial space. And, and so in February of 18, we found a space on Frankfurt Avenue, uh, and we moved in and the original plan was just to homebrew and have a little bit of a space to, watch Monday night football with our buddies, play some poker and just have, you know, a guys hang out or really guys and girls hang out. We, we had lots of friends over, um, that were friends with us and our wives. Um, and that went on for six to eight months and we kept getting feedback, you know, from people, Hey, you guys should, you know, you guys should really think about doing this. Uh, we really love your beer. You know, we did a beer called dirty peach that we made with chocolate malt, you know, it was the first time a lot of our friends had ever tasted, 
a peach wheat beer that had some darker, roastier grains in it. And people were like, these are interesting beers you're making. You know, we were doing gruets and, you know, anytime we'd read a book on brewing, we would try to incorporate new practices in and um, eventually some adjacent space to us opened up in the building. And, you know, it was really the first time we, we, we had kids serious conversations about, Hey, maybe, maybe we should do this. Um, so, uh, we did acquire that space, um, in September of, um, of 18. And then, um, you know, we still weren't hundred percent sure we were going to move into pro brewing, uh, but we started the licensing process nonetheless. And then, um, you know, that was really, it wasn't, it was, we always tell people, we never really made the decision to do it. It just kind of happened. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? Yeah. Uh, now you guys finally, wh- when did you, I guess, when did it all click and you guys go, okay, let's see if we can make this happen and open up a brewery where anyone, not just our friends can come in and have, and try our beer. Yeah. So after we acquired that new space, I think that's when it started to happen. You know, we, I, I, um, I started doing all of the licensing for us and then, um, we actually started, there's a, you know, a wonderful website that any aspiring brewer knows about that's called pro brewer. So we knew that we were going to have to fund this out of pocket, um, that we weren't, we, we made the decision that we didn't want to get loans and, um, we wanted to build the tap room ourselves, you know, with our own two hands, we, we wanted to do this as, as affordable as possible so that we could keep this around for as long as we wanted. So, um, we, we made that step. We started to acquire used equipment from breweries that either are going out of business or breweries that were making upgrades. So we've got fermentation vessels from Little Harpeth Brewing in Nashville, and we've got vessels from uh, Flywheel Brewing in E-Town, our our grain mills from Pivot Brewing in Lexington. So we've we've, we've driven as far as uh, St. Charles, Iowa, Charles City, Iowa, St. Charles Brewing Company out there and picked some large fermenters up. So, um, you know, uh, I think that's when it started, when when our equipment started to look more commercial, we started to do larger batches we realized that we were in it, you know, like we were going to make it happen. So, um, you know, we, we sourced a walk-in cooler from a little Caesars that was closing and started to build a tap room out. And, you know, we didn't even, we didn't even draw out what we thought it would look like. We just started putting pieces together. And, um, if you've ever been in the tap room, it's, I feel like it it organically came together. So it just so perfectly, I don't know that we could have drawn it out, um, as well as it, as as it's kind of come together. So, you know, as we now are starting to think about expansion in our current building, um, we're a little torn. You know, we, we kind of want to do expansion the same way while we want to do it quickly. And, uh, you know, we still have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit where we want to we still want to build it, you know. That, that's awesome. And, and I love how it's I don't want to call it kind of a Frankenstein style uh, build. But I mean, when you think about how you were able to piece everything together, that's an amazing story and just a lot of. Uh, I guess good, not good luck, but just good eyes, keeping your eyes open for everything. Yeah. And, you know, sourcing stuff that we, you know, we, we talk about being a Kentucky brewery, you know, we try our best. We have 10 of our own beers on at any given time and we have 10 guest taps and we talk about wanting to showcase and we really do want to showcase Kentucky beer as much as we can. So, you know, we, we like to put on beer that's outside of Louisville that maybe Louisvillians have not had an opportunity to try. So you'll regularly see stuff from Dreaming Creek or, um, you know, Flywheel or Blue Stallion or Country Boy, like just 
you know, a lot of breweries, even darkness out of, you know, out of Northern Kentucky, like a lot of Kentucky breweries, that's what we have a preference for. So when they put unique stuff out, we put it on tap. So, um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, just highlighting Kentucky with our beer. And then we did the same thing when we built that tap room out, you know, we, we got barn metal roofing from barns that were tore down in Frankfurt and, uh, old tobacco barn wood is what makes up our bourbon shelving. And, um, the tables are even old, uh, joists from, uh, Nulu, which is the, an area in downtown Louisville, uh, from a building that was being rehabbed. So we've tried to bring as much Kentucky into our tap room as possible. I love that. Uh, what's it been like, opening because you guys finally opened your doors this year in kind of the spring spring summertime uh what's it like opening in 2020 during a pandemic <laughs> you know people keep asking us uh how are you doing uh, how is opening during a pandemic and it's like uh we've both never owned a business like this before so we don't know right this is all we know right now is uh, <laughs> being open with masks on and social distancing and you know, every 30 minutes sanitizings. And um, so, you know, I, I feel like if anything, we're anxious and, and happy looking forward because we know we can make it work like this. It, there's only there's only good things to come when things start to get back to normal. I, I love that strategy. You don't know any better, so it must be going well. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm like, I don't know. You know, people keep asking, are you doing good? And I'm like, I think. I don't know how much better we could be doing. (laughs) Now you kind of, kind of touched on this with your slogan, you know, Derby city, small batch. Uh, You guys have what a couple, couple brewing systems on the smaller scale. So what style of beers do you guys do? Cause I think you guys kind of like to rotate a lot, right? Yeah. So we have yet to brew the same beer twice and we've been open since April. So um, we, our system, uh, we got a, we got our system from a brewery out of uh, Detroit who was upgrading uh, loaded dice brewing they've been uh been great friends with us um we try to we always try to make his uh make good inroads with the people we're we're sourcing equipments from so uh our system's a three and a half barrel system so we're getting anywhere from six to eight kegs of beer out uh depending on you know the grain bill how big it is and you know our system capacity so um you know we have we have no preference for beer styles we want to make sure there's a wide variety and we always want to make sure that there's something fun on and something I want someone to come in and try something they've never tried before. So right now we have a brew it on, which, um, you know, is an old style of beer that doesn't use hops. Um, so that beer we brewed, uh, in partnership with a brewery in town called Chimera Brewing, which is a vegan brewery. And, um, we used foraged, we used foraged really roots and, and, and grains for it. So like, um, it's, it's, it's made with, um, instead of hops, it's bittered with elderflower with, um, yarrow and um wild gale so um lots of interesting stuff we have a couple of beer to guards on right now an ipa um next week we're releasing our first canned beer so uh, of our first can release and it's our christmas ale uh shitters full and uh it's brewed with um or- sweet orange cinnamon ginger and uh, honey uh, that, that sounds like completely crazy to me to have a beer with no hops, uh, but but I, I'm guessing that's something you guys love to do and over time have just done a bunch of different recipes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this one, you know, we love the, that style of beer because it's just so unique. And this one we brewed with a little bit of acidulated malt, so it's very tart on the front end, but it's not necessarily a sour. 
So it's a good beer for someone who's never tried that style before, especially people who like sours but want to get out and try, you know, other styles of beer. There's a lot of people I feel like, especially with the new fruited sours that have kind of heavily proliferated the industry recently. I think people it's it's getting people who've never been into beer into beer. So when people come in and they're, you know, they're they they've had those from other breweries, yeah, we we we've done fruited sours here and we'll continue to do them, but I like to get people to try, step out of their comfort zone a little bit and try their stuff. So um, it's been one that's that's performed really well for us. And I think it's one that will, not that specific recipe, but it's a style of beer we'll continue to do. I, I love that. And I've really enjoyed looking at kind of your beer list. I mean, you only got about, you know, a hand, couple handfuls, uh, maybe, maybe less than a dozen, but you've got some very interesting ones. You mentioned kind of that, that ancient herb ale, a couple interesting farmhouse styles. Uh, so a lot of different variety there. Uh, and something else you guys do that I find interesting is you've got quite a bourbon collection over there. Uh, how did you get into bourbon and beer? Oh, so I've been into bourbon for as long as I can remember. My grandfather uh, was a big Kentucky bourbon guy and uh, lived in Shively, very close to the original Stitzel Weller. So um, me and my cousins were um, kind of ingratiated to the, the the bourbon industry and bourbon, you know, the, the real, the, the bourbon the way it used to be before it's kind of, you know, gotten into this whole source model where you're drinking the same thing with a million different labels. So um, we, uh, we, our, our bourbon collection here is very specific to Kentucky. So we like age stated stuff. We like, you know, uh, stuff that is, is Kentucky bourbon. Now there's some, obviously there's some Indiana stuff as well, but, um, we, we have over 150. We actually have a lot more than that. Uh, we just don't have room for them yet until we expand the, the bar area. So, um, we've also taken advantage of Kentucky's vintage spirits act. So we've been able to put some stuff on, you know, we have some stuff from the seventies some stuff from the eighties. We have some stuff that's Japanese release some stuff that's the United Kingdom release. So you can come and try a full lineup of the Blanton's here, Blanton's gold, Blanton straight from the barrel, uh, Japanese black Blanton's. Um, we've, we've really tried our best. Um, it's really a passion project for us, right? So we love bourbon and we know there's a huge amount of bourbon tourism here and we want people to seek us out for both bourbon and beer and maybe the bourbon people we can uh we can get them to try kentucky beer and the beer people we can get them to try kentucky bourbon i i love that strategy and the the way you're going about kind of the bourbons too is, is very interesting i mean uh ha, has it been fun trying to track down some of these harder to find bourbons i mean that to me that's almost like a, a style of hunting all in of itself yeah so i think that I've been in this a lot longer than a lot of people who've, who've just kind of picked this up in the last few years. So luckily I have a lot of connections uh, from people who've just been in the industry. This all used to be much easier <laughs> years yeah. ago before it became such a, you know, uh, such a thing to, to wait in lines. People wait outside of, um, you know, stores overnight to, for some of these bourbon releases. And uh, as I like to tell Patrick, my partner, I'm like, well, the, the good thing about opening the brewery is that now at least we're allocated some of this so we don't have to stead out in the cold. So, uh, but you know, we, we really try our best. We do a bourbon special every week where we're, we're, we're pricing it just above cost for us. Cause we're really trying to get people in to try some of these. Uh, it's sometimes it's really hard. We hear people all the time who are coming into town who are touring, you know, basically they're touring the bourbon industry. They're going to Woodford and makers and, you know, Buffalo trace. And, and it's really hard for those out of towners to get their hands on the bottles they want. So we want to be a place that even if you didn't get to buy the bottle after a release, you can come here 
and we have it at a price that's very palatable um, for you to try something. So you can, you know, if it's worth hunting down and paying what you have to pay when you don't find it at retail. <laughs> yeah, that, that secondary market can be kind of scary, but I, I, I enjoy too to see that you price something where people can actually enjoy it. You know, like they can actually go out and, and have that one ounce pour or two ounce pour because sometimes there's just bottles that sit up in a bar and no one really ever goes for them. Absolutely. You know, we had Weller Antique uh, last week, I believe, for $7 an ounce. And, um, you know, we've we've had the Blanton straight from the barrel for 10 I mean, that's a, a very expensive bottle and, um, and, and stuff that and a bottle that I believe that, that nobody in, in town's really had unless you're really, really into the bourbon industry. So um, we've even had distributors come through <laughs> who will sit down because they see bourbon. You know, we had a guy who was an ex-executive for, um, from, uh, from a bourbon company who saw a bottle from, from his, uh, from his company from the eighties. And he's like, I've never, I've never tried that. And so he sat and had a few pours. So it's really nice to connect with people because I feel like, uh, it's something that people love here in Kentucky. Oh, absolutely. They, they, they love their, their, uh, their spirits, their beer. Uh, you know, it's a Kentucky's a very interesting place for that. Um, what, what's it like? I mean, you know, to, because bourbon and beer both kind of have that same quality of, you know, they can pull up a seat at the bar, you know, socially distance when, when things like that can happen. What's it like to just get to chat with folks that may be trying bourbon or, or beer for the first time, or you're trying to get them to try something new? Oh, I love it. It's, part, it's my most favorite part of the job. My partner knows that. I'm, I'm definitely uh, a huge people person. And the most uh, rewarding part of opening this bar is being able to meet people and talk with people and um and create a space for people to make memories in so like being able for someone to come in and they tell me what they like and they want to try something different whether it's you know it's a style of beer and uh they'd like you know i like this mass-produced beer do you have something similar or hey you know i I like this bourbon can you tell me something that's more unique i see you have you know i think it's a little overwhelming when you look at our bar i mean we're just packing (laughs) bottles on top of each other right so um and i always tell people there's hidden gems everywhere you go i can look at a bourbon list and tell you what to buy so we try to do that And, and you know i would also say that I think people are also used to going to bars and it's always the same wells, right? Old Forester everywhere. Mm-hmm. We love Old Forester here, but um, we're a bourbon bar, right? And we, we're here for bourbon and beer drinkers. So our well is uh, Old Bardstown bottled and bond, hunter proof. And we sell it for four bucks an ounce and a half because we want to be a place. We love that bourbon. You know, I love, uh, we love the, the Willet line of, of stuff that they, that they carry and, uh, I think it's just such a good expression, and we turn a lot of people onto that as their daily drinker. I think just helping people discover those is very fun for us. Uh, and the, like I said, the way you're doing it makes perfect sense on a way to get people to try try different expressions and, and things like that. And I, I love to hear that. And my, my last question for you, Roger, is what's next? I mean, you guys are young. Uh, you, you got a little bit of beer, got some bourbon. What's next for Gallant, Gallant Fox? Well, this next week we're going to do our first ever can release, so we're excited to to get into the cans and, and start to put some stuff out. You know, obviously we're not distributing yet. We're very hopeful that the uh, legislative session this this year um, uh, activates self distribution in Kentucky, like so many other states have done, because. Gallant Fox would love to put our beer in uh, in some retail establishments. We have friends that own a number of restaurants and bars locally. We'd love to do you know. We'd love to do customized brews for those specific places, um, and and we're expanding here. You know, um, within the next within the next six to nine months, you'll see us 
making changes on our building, um, opening up some stuff and adding some seating on the inside. And, um, you know, we, we never know. We don't, we don't close our eyes to anything. So, um, there's some, there's some big things planned for the next year or two. I I love to hear that. And I can't wait to, to get over there and check everything out. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to have you in. It was really fun talking with Roger Huff, co-owner, co-brewer of Gallon Fox Brewing in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, neat, neat place with uh, some interesting styles of beer and over 130 different bourbons, uh, all at uh, very reasonable prices, too, which I, I just love that, uh, where you can actually go there and try things that you might not be able to find anywhere else. Uh, remember, don't forget to check out our friends, One Sip Beer Review on Instagram. They do near daily beer reviews. They do giveaways. They have a lot of fun with their videos. Check them out at One Sip Beer Review on Instagram. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hop Spirits, all one word. And uh, on our Instagram page, things we love, holiday giveaway. Don't miss it. Uh, your chance to win some great prizes. Until next time, cheers, everyone.